My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So we're talking about transfiguration. This passage is often read right before the beginning of Lent. If you read this and think of it as a bookend, where are we headed? We're headed towards the transforming Jesus at the end of Lent at Easter, very much like a caterpillar, he goes into the cocoon of the tomb and death and comes out as the risen Lord. So some people are going to say that this passage should be read as a preview of what's to come. A lot of scholars talk about this as like going to the movie theater and seeing what's coming next. I enjoy the previews. I think Vicky enjoys watching me watch the previews because after every one, because there's always a little break, we, we nod at each other like, yeah, that's when we want to see, or no, that's not when we want to see. And I got to tell you, lately, there's a lot less we don't want to see than we want to. But some people preach on this as a preview of what's to come. Some people preach on this as you can't stay on the mountaintop. You can't be up there forever. Peter wanted to build the three little booths and have like a meet Jesus attraction, Right. Come on in, meet Jesus, meet Elijah, meet Moses, get a little caramel popcorn over here, get a little maco, maco pizza over here, and we'll just let everybody meet Jesus. You got to leave the mountaintop. That's another way to preach this. Some people want to preach this as the moment where the disciples finally knew exactly who Jesus was. You remember, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, those were words. But if the Christ, the Son of the living God, begins to glow in the dark, right? And a cloud comes down that's also glowing and says in a God voice, and I'm sorry, your pastor is a tenor. I will never have that deep, resonant God voice, but I'll do my best. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's got to leave an impression. We're not preaching on it that way this Sunday either. Or some people, and, and this is where we're headed, some people say this is a promise that God wants to transfigure each and every one of us. If there's an underlying question today's sermon, it's this. Are you a different person than you were the day that you accepted Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? Have you transfigured? Have you grown? Have you changed? Has your ministry expanded? Or are you sitting in the same spiritual place you were one year, two years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years ago? Because God wants to transfigure each and every one of us. Now, if we are people of changed hearts, our lives should be changed. So let's look at some famous transformations. Remember who your pastor is. Doc Bruce Banner, belted by gamma rays, turns into the... There we go. Hulk. <coughs> Once upon a time, there was a nerd who got bit by a radioactive spider. Spider-Man, there we go. Once upon a time, there was a skinny guy who wanted to serve in the military in World War II. And they gave him super soldier serum. And he became... Captain America. There you go, Captain America. 
I think we're up to three or four Captain America lunchboxes in our house. You know that's my favorite. There once was a shepherd, 80 years old, hiding from his country because he had committed murder. And he came across a burning bush. And it transformed him. And his name was Moses. Now, I want you to think about this. Like, every one of us had, should have our own burning bush experience. My father is 25 years older than me. So when I was nine, he was 34. And he did not give his heart to Christ until he was 34 in a lay witness mission over at Oakland Methodist Church. And I will tell you, that man wrestled with God. He did not want to give in, and God tugged on him. And I remember being a little boy standing at the back of the church, and all the adults from the lay witness mission were at the altar praying with my father because he needed to be dragged into the kingdom of heaven. That was his burning bush moment. My dad was a bit of a character. One day, the, the pastor said to the deacons, I want everybody to come to this deacon's beating with their favorite Bible verse memorized. My dad said, no. The pastor said, what? He said, why do I need to memorize it? I got a Bible. That's the kind of God, guy my dad was. But he had his burning bush moment and it changed his life. And I want you to think about this. When Spider-Man got bit, when... Captain America got the super soldier serum. When the Hulk got the gamma rays, when Moses saw the burning bush, they got superpowers. Superpowers, you say? Yes. Everybody in this room should have some superpowers. Let me give you a help. You should have extraordinary love. You should have exemplary joy. Peace that passes all understanding. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and dare I say it, self-control. You can't just go shooting webs wherever you want. You got to have good aim. Every one of us should have a superpower. And when you are seeking these, you are spiritually invincible. Because what does it say at the end of that verse? Against such things, there is no law. God wants to transfigure you. I guess if I was going to make a poster, remember the old Uncle Sam with the finger pointing out? This would have that generic picture of God as a, a wise old man pointing out and say, God wants to transform you. And Spider-Man has to go and ruin it. I know that probably you haven't read, maybe some of us have Spider-Man issue one where he gets bit and he's discovering his strength and his agility and his ability to shoot webs. And his uncle says, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, other people have tried to say that that came from great philosophers in the past, but if you want to go search it up, that quote pretty much comes from Spider-Man. But it applies to our scripture today. With great power comes great responsibility. Two responsibilities. One is for us to transform, and the other is for us to help others transform. Now, I'd like to make, I made a short list of things that people believe will transform you, but they don't. I love this. Andy Stanley, 
the son of Charles Stanley, says when he first became a Christian, he thought it was like an eternal game of Jesus says. Jesus says, read your Bible. Jesus says, pray. Jesus says, get up. Jesus says, get down. Jesus says, listen. And then uh, he says, sit down. Up. Oh, I didn't say Jesus says. And then you got to go all the way back to the beginning. Some people fall into the pharisaical, pharisaical trap of straining for gnats and drinking camels. Remember, Jesus accused them of that. And it's in the Bible, you're not allowed to eat a gnat. Did you know that? There is a prohibition in the Old Testament for eating gnats. Now, I don't know how you would gather. Do you make gnat meatballs or burgers or like, do you mix them as a spice into your linguine? I don't even know how you would eat or collect a gnat, but it's in there. And the Pharisees were so afraid that they would swallow a gnat that they would take a piece of cloth and pour it over their, put it over their goblet and pour their wine through the cloth so that they would never have a gnat. They didn't want to break that law. But then they were so hung up on the little laws, they missed the big laws of changing your life. Or <laughs> some of us become tattletales for Jesus. Now, I teach elementary school, and you know that. And uh, when a child comes up and stands right here, if they're not asking to go to the bathroom, they're tattling. And this is what I do. <gasps> Are we tattling? Who are we telling on today? And I get that on my knees, and I smile. And the kid usually looks at me like, that man is crazy. I'm like, are we sending somebody to the office? Are we calling home? And usually by that time, the kid turns around and walks away. But think about it. Some of us are tattletales for Jesus. Oh, I saw Pastor Wiki at the bar, right? I, I saw this one at the gambling, right? I saw, I saw. And we're, we want to transform everybody else. But we're not letting God transform us. Or we could have actual growth and we could become a productive part of the vine. Jesus said in John, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we've all heard that sermon, if the branch isn't connected to the vine, ain't no growing, ain't no producing of fruit. Now, I was talking to somebody earlier this week who likes to climb mountains. And she has a new hobby, and that's dragging her opera singer husband up the side of mountains. And we've all heard me complain about that. And if you want to go on Facebook, there are pictures of me looking rather wet and sullen at the top of a mountain. And this person who drags me up the mountain says, was there any that you actually liked? The answer was there was one I did like. And I will admit that sometimes the view is worth the climb. That's where Jesus is headed here. When you're in the midst of the climb, and I have to say almost everyone I have said, huffing and puffing to that person, opera singers are not made to climb mountains. And, and I don't know if she can tell now when it's coming, but we know it's coming. But you don't really benefit from the climb until you see the view. Jesus is climbing with us. Jesus is calling us to climb. Jesus is promising that at the end of the climb, there is an amazing view. You will be transformed. And if you follow your pastor's golden life, you'll take as many people with you as you can. And I want you to hear that this sermon doesn't come with a wagging finger. This is a sermon that ends with two questions. 
The question number one is this. Since you have met Jesus, have you changed? Have you transformed? Or are you in the process of changing and transforming? Now, I don't know why the translators chose to make that word transform, because in the Greek, it's metamorpho. Jesus metamorphosized in front of them. I think that'd be fun. This, this is meta, meta I, that's probably why they did it. This is transfiguration, meta, how would you say that? Metamorphosizing Sunday? But it applies to all of us. And we have to be like the 76ers, you have to trust the process. But you know what? It only works if you participate in the process. I thought about naming this uh, sermon, one of my favorite jokes, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> Only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Poor Vicky has heard that joke way too many times, right? Jesus wants to transform you, but you have to participate in the transformation. First question, diagnostic for yourself. Have you begun, embarked on this journey of transformation with Jesus? The second one is a tougher question. It's for our church. How can the pastor, the deacons, the congregation of kings help you on your journey? I uh, talked with a friend of mine who visited our church and was considering coming here and chose to go to a different church. And I said, why? Why? And he said, I went to the church that has more programs and more outreach. I want to be a part of a church that is reaching out into the community. I got to tell you, that hurt a little bit. I'm lying. That hurt a lot. He said, we have a church. We at Kings have a church that is not reaching out to the community enough. Sometimes we'd have to say, at all. Now, part of the problem is this. People come to Christ and they say, well, I like me just the way I am. I'm glad I met Jesus and I recognize I'm a sinner, but I don't really need to change that much. I'm not a, and you could figure, fill in some sin that is greater than your, I'm not a murderer, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a this, I'm not a that, I'm pretty good the way I am. And Jesus says, no, everybody needs to transform. It's hard to give up the sin in our life. And when I was preparing this, a, a friend of mine passed a few years back, and he was a banjo player. And there aren't that many banjo players left in this world, but he was a very good banjo player. And he would start picking at his banjo, and he would sing, I was sinking deep in sin. And you're waiting to hear, far from the blissful shore. But he would sing, I was sinking deep in sin, having a wonderful time. And that's where a lot of us are. Well, it doesn't really hurt anybody. It's my, it's my choice. It's legal. You can fill in all the gaps. And Jesus says, no, it's time to change. And is the church helping people change? So let's finish with this. You have to know your origin story. Where was your burning bush? Where was your radioactive spider? Where was your super soldier serum? Where did you meet Jesus? And when did the change begin? 
And then you get to find out what your superpower is. Now, the fruits of the Spirit should apply to all of us. But there are lists in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and in Romans, about the particular jobs, the particular superpowers God calls us to fill. You've got apostles and prophets and teachers, those that heal, those that help, those that administer. We've got the gifts of wisdom. We've got the gifts of faith, of knowledge, of miracles, and of prophecy, the gift of tongues. And if God is giving gifts, if God is giving superpowers to help us grow, why aren't we grabbing them? Because you, you don't know the needs of your city. Now, isn't it funny? I don't know why this is, but most superheroes have like an area of governance. Batman has. Kara, you and I need to talk about comic books together. <laughs> Batman has Gotham City. Superman has? Metropolis. The Flash? Star City. Okay, so I win the comic book prize. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, where you live is your area of influence. God is calling us to transform this area with our superpowers because we're invincible because Jesus died for us. Now, the other thing you need to know, my friends, is your kryptonite. What is it that will take the wind out of your sails? And it's funny I wrote this sermon before I saw the video for Sunday School this morning, but that's exactly what the teacher was talking about. When we begin to compare our ministry and our outreach and our bank accounts with other churches, we, we might come up wanting, and Jesus says, no, this is your area. This is where you come from. Don't compare. Learn your weaknesses and then go out. There's a, a group of uh, choir music and it's written for small choirs, and it's called Small But Mighty. And the guy who wrote the arrangement said, you know what, there are some churches that only have a couple men, a few altos and a few sopranos. Why don't we find a way for them to do choral music? And I know that Kara picked up one of the books. Right? There is a ministry for everybody in this room, but you have to be willing to move from a sinful caterpillar to a saved butterfly. Deacons, pastors, we need to ask, how can we help people transform? Do we need to start a 12-step program here? Do we need to reach out with assistance? Do we give people a place to fill in the blank? Do we have to build a safer place for people to share and grow? Or do we have to have classes on certain things? I told you there's a friend of mine who built his entire church on divorce recovery classes. And we have people in our church that have been divorced, and it is an unpleasant and awful place to be. There are people who are grieving every day. Should we have a grief group? These are not lists of things I think we should do. These are lists of things we could do. But we have to go back to where we started. If you are the same person today as you were when you gave your heart to Jesus one year, five years, 20 years ago, please find your superpower and use it to grow the kingdom. Now, if you've never made the transition from caterpillar to butterfly 
And if somebody would go back and hit the button, we're on the next slide. If you've never made the transition from caterpillar to butterfly, you've never met Jesus, you've never said, I want to start the transformation. Why not make today to do it? Make today the day you get struck by lightning, bit by a radioactive spider, stand in front of a burning bush, or get some super spiritual soldier serum, and join the movement. Our front pew will be open during the last hymn. Come forward, and our deacons and pastors would love to pray with you. If you've had that life-changing event, you've met Jesus, and to be honest, you have done nothing to transform, or perhaps you started a slow transformation and you're still on the first two steps. Come forward during that last hymn. Sit in the first pew and our deacons and our pastors would love to pray with you and help you find your superpower and set you on your ministry. If you have a superpower, if you have a heart for a ministry, if you have something that just gnaws at your heart and says, this has got to be done at King's, please come forward, sit in the front pew, and our deacons and our pastors would love to pray with you and help you build that ministry. We need you. The kingdom needs you. And yes, we're back to the poster of God saying, I need you. Our first pew is open for challenges and issues. If you need prayer, come forward during the last hymn. Amen.